4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and all their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us the gifts of prayer and your word. Lord, prayer to commune with you, to receive from you, to be in fellowship with you, and your word that we can rely on and trust in and build our lives around. God, thank you that you've not just given us prayer and the word, but you've given us your spirit. Just like you filled Jesus with your spirit, you promised to fill with your spirit all who ask. And so, God, we ask. Would you fill us with your spirit? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the privileges of being a dad is that I get to subject my kids to some of the same things that I've enjoyed. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. Um, you know, the, my kids like some of the 80s music that I grew up with. And, you know, my kids, most of them love the Rocky movies. Because I subjected them to those really early on. And I still remember probably it was my favorite Rocky movie. It might not be the best as far as writing goes. But it, I, I felt like it was the best Rocky movie. Rocky Four. Anybody see Rocky Four, Or is it just people over 50 really? I mean you know. Rocky Four was this epic battle of you know, at the time, good versus evil, the America versus the Russians. Uh, it was democracy versus communism. It was Rocky Balboa versus Ivan Drago. And it was the good guys versus the bad guys, or maybe looking back, the most mostly good versus the mostly bad. But what we saw in that movie, what inspired us was, it was this epic battle of this, this person who pulled themselves by their own bootstraps and, they, and, they, and he worked really hard and he, he fought it out in the Russian wilderness and he got really strong and he was lifting all of his relatives on a cart and, and he eventually overcame by stamina and strength. That's not what we see in this passage. We see, though, a far greater battle, more epic than anything in any movie. And sometimes we downplay it. We, we don't give much attention to this. And what we see is really, this battle really determines everything for us. Would Jesus really be the victor? 
Could he really overcome the devil? Would he really fulfill God's plan and purpose for him? Or would he give in? Would he be defeated? But the difference is Jesus didn't do it from a place of physical strength or stamina. Jesus came and his utmost weakness is when he was tempted. When his stamina had virtually run out physically. And yet... What he was tempted by really comes down to some of the the basic, the core motivations for all of mankind. Will, Will Jesus truly live for God or will he live for himself? Will he live to satisfy his own flesh? Will he live providing for himself? Will he live trusting in himself? Or will he depend on God to provide and to protect? Will he depend on God? Will he live for the praise of God? And and I love that chapter 3, it ended with Adam, the son of God, if you remember from last week. And it was this contrast that Luke was intentionally setting up to set us up for this week as well. Because it says, Jesus, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then at the very end, it contrasted with Adam, the son of God, who failed, essentially, is what it's trying to draw attention to. And now, this passage comes immediately after that, contrasting the failed son of God, Adam, with the real, the true, the better Adam... You see, Adam didn't trust in God to provide everything that he needed, even though he had everything. Adam didn't trust in living for God's glory. Instead, he wanted glory for himself. He sought his own praise. He wanted to be like God. Adam didn't trust in God to to protect him from evil, And instead, he trusted in his own abilities to discern and protect. What we see here is that Adam, he was placed into this lush, beautiful garden. Adam had absolutely everything you could imagine. He had every good thing. He had a perfect wife. Beyond all perfection we can imagine, he had the perfect wife, perfect companion, in the perfect place, with perfect food. Everything was perfect, perfect climate. He didn't even eat clothes, and they didn't know they were naked. It was great. There was no shame. There was no sin. There was no fear. And yet Adam failed in every way. And he failed simply by not depending on God and his word. That's the crux of it. Jesus, he is led now, not into a lush garden. Jesus is led into a place that's a complete opposite of Adam. Adam had every reason to rely on to depend upon God. Adam should have relied on, depended upon God in every way. Jesus, oh, he's taken here to the wilderness. He's taken to the wilderness. And this Judean wilderness is barren. There's nothing there. It's a, it's a despicable place. It's the place that they spoke of where demons would go to find refuge. Jesus is taken where there is no food, where there is no garden, there's no growth. And he's not given any companion there for the first 40 days. He goes alone. And, and, you know, you think this is kind of odd because people would have expected, you know, this, this great, as chapter 3 ends, Jesus has been inaugurated in his baptism. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. God has declared him to be his beloved son. And so you think now he's going to go out and he's going to do some great stuff. But the first thing he does is he begins to reverse all 
that Adam did. Jesus goes out into the wilderness. He goes to the wilderness to a place of desolation. And we see him battling the devil, really. And the devil begins by, by questioning, can, can you really, if you are the son of God, why in the world are you so hungry? Why don't you have anything? Why did the Holy Spirit, why did God send you out to this desert place? He must not really care about you. He must not want to provide for you. And, and he's really questioning God's provision here. And, and yet what we see is that Jesus, he defeats the devil and he trusts or he depends upon God for provision. That's what we see in this, this first battle scene. Jesus defeats the devil and he depends on God's provision. Adam's stomach was satisfied with every good thing. Jesus is alone, desperately hungry, tired. He succeeded, though, in the wilderness for 40 days. And that 40 days is significant. He says he went into the desert for 40 days. It's interesting, the parallels here. I think that the reader is meant to call to mind. You know, Israel wandered in the desert, not for 40 days, but for 40 years, because they couldn't even make it a week without disobeying God. They came to, they came to the Red Sea, and they were like, Moses, why in the world did you bring us out here to die? And then God gave them every opportunity to obey, and yet for 40 years, they did not trust, they did not obey, and yet what Israel couldn't do in 40 years, Jesus did in 40 days. You think about the other times the Bible mentions 40 days. David, he defeats Goliath after Goliath for 40 days, assaults Israel with all of these taunts. And yet David, he comes, God's deliverer, he defeats Goliath. And yet what we see in this passage, we're meant to see, okay, this is the greater David who has defeated our greatest enemy after 40 days. Moses, he brought the law of the covenant after he fasted for 40 days and he went up on Mount Sinai. He came down with the, with the tablets of the covenant. But Jesus here, he's ushering in the new covenant. He is, he is breaking the power of the devil and he ushers in his covenant of grace. Old Testament tells us of Ezekiel that God told him to lie on his right side for 40 days to atone for the sins of Israel for 40 years. And Jesus here, he really is beginning to atone. He's beginning to to undo all the curse. Elijah, he went on a 40-day journey of fasting, and then he went up to Mount Sinai, and he hears God in the whisper, and yet what we see here is Jesus, he is heard as the very incarnate word of God speaking. And it says he ate nothing for 40 days. 40 days is a long time, by the way. I don't know if you ever tried fasting. You know, intermittent fasting is a big fad right now. But 40 days, by that time, your body gets so physically weakened that you can't think straight. Your body starts to shut down. It starts to feast on its own organs. And yet Jesus here, he's fighting the devil, not in a place of physical strength. You know, when I get tired, when I get weak, I don't know about you, but when I get tired and I get weak, that's when I'm most vulnerable to get cranky, if I'm hungry for 40 days, I can tell you what, you don't want to be around me. I don't know if that's going to be tempted to sin. I'm going to be sinning all over the place. Jesus here, he's, he's, he's 40 days extremely physically weakened. And yet out of his weakness, out of the depths of his weakness, he overcomes. 
You know, think about me and my weakness. I can, when, when I'm weak, I can often make excuses for my sins. I can make excuses giving in temptations to be lazy, temptations to be selfish. Jesus didn't give in at any point. And the devil comes to him and he questions him. He says, well, if, if you really are the son of God, then why in the world are you hungry? If you are the son of God, then you would have the power to command these stones. You could turn this stone into anything you wanted. A nice piece of meat. Well, not just a piece of bread. That's not bad for you. In essence, he was attacking God's statement. And when God said, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And Satan was attacking that and saying, if you really are, then why doesn't it seem that way? Why isn't God providing for you? Why don't you provide for yourself? After all, if you are the son of God, you're the son of man, you're the son of God, you, you can do anything you want. And it seems like a really kind of simple thing, no big deal, right? But as a man, he was called to rely on and trust on God's word in everything. You see, Jesus wasn't just here as God to learn some lesson, the God-man, the Son of God. He was taking our place as man. And in every way, he undoes what Adam failed to do. So Jesus, he wouldn't take things into his, on his own hands, but he would rely on God to feed him. And he, and he trusted in God's word, even when it didn't make sense, and even when he was weak, tired, hungry, and alone, he was being tested. Would he trust in God's provision? And I think how often we're tested that way too. Will we trust in God to provide? When things get hard, when things get tight, when we're not sure where we'll be able to retire, or we're not sure where we'll be able to afford kids' education, when we're not sure if our car breaks down, we'll be able to replace it, um, when the economy is doing bad, will God really provide? Can he provide? Does he really care? And, and in this temptation, it's a pressing question. Will Jesus deny his own will to submit to the Father's will? Or will he deny God's goodness? Because so often we're tempted to deny God's goodness when we're concerned about provision. And it's subtle, isn't it? The devil tempts us in subtle ways to be self-reliant rather than trusting in God. He, he tempts us to look to our own way, to doubt God's provision, and, and he often uses seemingly benign things. After all, it's not a big deal. It's just bread, man. It's just one thing. Nobody is here. Nobody's gonna see. It's just you and me. Jesus, it's just you and me. Take this stone, turn it to bread. I'm not gonna tell. No one will see what you do off on your own. And that's the temptation for us too, right? When no one's looking. But he refutes the devil's tactics with the same tactic every time. He demonstrated he's not relying on himself, but he's, he is relying on God's word. He's relying on God to provide. And that's where we see the passage that, that really is referencing the same thing that Matthew, our, our memory verse for this week, is quoting. He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And Matthew adds the fuller statement, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How did Jesus fight off temptation? He fought off 
temptation by refusing to eat from the devil's menu and instead feasting on God's word. That's, that's how we fight off temptation as well, isn't it? That's why we're, we're focusing on scripture memory this year. We want to we wanna have God's word so ingrained in us that when we are tempted, we can, we can speak God's word to ourselves to refute every attack of the devil. And that's what Jesus does. And, and, it, and it meant really that he, he probably had a good portion of the scripture memorized because here's the thing. He didn't have any cheat codes telling him, here's what the devil's going to tempt you in. He didn't have some like a written answer code hidden in his robe somewhere to the tests he was getting from the devil. He had God's word in his heart and his mind so much so that he was able to respond with appropriate words refuting the words of the devil. And he wasn't going to do what seemed pleasing to his own eyes like Adam did. He was going to live by what was pleasing to God. And he says, if, if God led me in the desert here and God is told me to fast. I'm, I'm going to rely on him. He's going to provide. Sometimes God, God leads us into desert places, not because he doesn't love us, because he actually wants us to learn to depend upon him. He wants us to learn to trust in him. And Jesus, he will hear, he won't take any shortcuts in life. He's refusing to turn a stone to bread. He, he appeals here to God's word when the devil appeals to his own desires. And then when the devil couldn't make Jesus be self-seeking, self-sufficient, he tries a different tact. He appeals to the earthly desire to rule the world. I think it's something that a lot of people here, at least me, I've often dreamed about. You know, what if I ruled the world? Wouldn't that be cool? What a terrifying thought that is. But Jesus here, he defeated the devil, and he depended upon God's praise. What the devil was really tempting him with was, will you live for God's glory or will you live for your own glory? Will you seek praise on your own? Will you try to do whatever it takes to get praise or glory from the world? Or will you live for the glory and praise of God? And what Jesus responds with is he, he defeats the devil by, he says, I'm, I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm not going to bow down to any other false idols. I'm not going to bow down to any false gods. He's going to depend on, on praising God. He's going to depend on God's praise of him. And I think most people in some way have the subtle desire to be rulers of the world or at least their own kingdoms, Right? Tom Petty sang a song many years ago, It's Good to Be King, King for a Day. My family loves it when I go around the house singing that. Um, it's good to be king in your own way. Coldplay sang a song, Viva La Vida, or Long Live Life, and the lyrics center around when I ruled the world. But what it's really about is kind of dethroning God. On the, on the country end of the spectrum, there's a, a guy, who Adam Sanders, he came out with a song, Ruled the World, a few years ago, and it... And he imagined what it would be like if him and all of his, the finest redneck friends he could get together decided how things would be, including deer hunting 365 days of the year, day and night. And I kind of like, there's this part of me, this Shenandoah Valley boy that I grew up out in the boonies that kind of liked that idea. I'm like, yeah, that, there's just some appealing things there. The devil was trying to tempt Jesus as a man to to rule the world, to receive all authority and glory and praise by avoiding any difficulty or hardship or suffering, 
Instead of obeying God, what God had called him to do, he was trying to get Jesus to take the easy path to glory, the easy path to praise. And so often, you know what? That's what we want. We want, we want the praise of other people, and it's so subtle, and it's so easy, and it happens so quickly without thinking about it. Um, our knee-jerk reaction is often to want the praise of other people, and so he's appealing here to a fundamental desire to want glory, to want praise. But we weren't made to seek our own glory and our own praise. We were made to seek God's glory and then to receive God's praise, his commendation. So the devil here, he's trying to get Jesus to live for his own praise. And that happens to us on so many levels every day. Uh, I, I can give you two instances from just this weekend from my own life. Really silly little things. That was knee-jerk. I'm like, what in the world? What's going on there? What, are, what am I doing? You know, the first is I went to the, I went to the MD360, um, and, and, and um, I go in, and they, they, you know, the first thing they do is they, I don't know why they do this with adults still, they, they weigh you, and then they ask you your height, you know, or they put that little stick up there kind of thing. So um, I got on the scale, and I realized that I was like five pounds more than I wanted to be, and I, I wasn't really encouraged by that. And so she's like, well, what's your height? I'm like 5'11". It was 5'11 like 20 years ago. I've shrunken now. I'm 5'10", Maybe. But it immediately came out. And then I'm justifying it like, oh, well, I'm 5'11 with my shoes on. I'm like, <laughs> because I, I didn't want her to think badly of me because I weighed more than my BMI should be, right? For 5'10, you should only weigh this much. And I was five pounds over. So, like, how stupid. And it was knee jerk. It was immediate. It was so fast. And I was like, oh, God, forgive me, please. How stupid was that, right? But we do those kinds of things. At least I do that kind of stuff all the time, not even thinking. We're seeking the praise of others. We want glory. We don't want to look bad. Today, we, this morning, just before we're getting ready to leave, um, we had a gas leak at home. Crazy. I come out of my office, getting ready to come downstairs. I'm like, I'm thinking, hey, everything is going smooth, and I smell gas. I'm like, what in the world? I go downstairs, get Gideon. I'm like, can you come upstairs? You smell gas. Oh, yeah, I smell gas. And so we're looking around everywhere. And so I'm, I'm like, I just arrived right as Aaron was finishing praying this morning because all that was in my head was like, oh, no, what are people going to think of me? Because there's inherent desire for all of us, at least for me, to want glory, to want praise. And, and the devil promised to give all authority and all the glory of all the kingdoms in the world. Man, that's tempting, right? God promised Jesus that he would give him, the Messiah, all authority, that he would rule all the kingdoms of the world. He would give him all glory. And what the devil here is offering him is an easy way out and saying, you can have all the glory and all the kingdoms and all the worship and all the authority in the world without any pain, without any suffering. You can get everything you want. You won't have to deny yourself anything. And that's what he's tempting him with. And that's how we're tempted as well. Take the easy path out. And imagine if you were given the offer to rule the world. If you, if you were given the ability to say, hey, think about every kingdom in this world, the most powerful nations, all the glory of, of ruling all of those nations. Imagine if that was offered to you and all you had to do was in private just bow your knee to the God of this world. It'd be pretty enticing if you could 
make everything how you want it if you were in charge, it would, that's really what drives selfish ambition, isn't it? It's the same desire that pushes people to climb the, the corporate ladder to play politics, to do whatever it takes to be in charge, to be ahead, to, to get power, to stay in power. It's what's behind this statement that's in all of our hearts and heads at times when we're grumbling, complaining, if I was in charge, I would do it differently. I don't know if you think that, but I do. If I was in charge, I would make better decisions. If that's in the church, if that's in the country, if wherever that is in the home, I would do it better. We're wanting all the authority, all the glory. That's what's behind the desire, the feeling that, you know, I'm, I'm being overlooked, I'm being underappreciated, I'm better than them. And it's, it's what people seek after today. So many people are seeking to be internet famous, right? You know, people, people want all the glory, but they want all the riches that go with that glory and praise. Um, they they want to be like the next Mr. Beast on YouTube who's making like 800 million a year, literally making 800 million a year just doing silly videos. Temptation for Jesus is what he sees power and grasp for power and glory and praise on his own or would he trust in God's glory and God's commendation God's praise and it just would take worshiping the devil it would just take giving in no one else would see it it'd be easy what could hurt he just have to stop seeking to make his life all about worship to God and just give in to the devil. You know, that's why so many people depart from the faith today is, and leave God behind. It's because it's far harder to bow our knees and worship God and make all of our lives about worship to God. And it's far easier to want the praise of other people and say, you know what, I'm going to live for the praise and glory that I can get in this world. And praise and glory in this world does not come from obeying God, by the way. When you tell people what you really believe the Bible says, they will not like you. You won't receive praise. Living to worship God, it means being rejected by people. It may mean that your friends and your loved ones think you're a bigot. It, it, it may mean that people say, well, you're not really loving. You hate them because you don't accept people for who they define themselves to be. Living to worship God, it might mean getting fired for not giving in to the false worship of self and refusing to affirm ungodly behavior. It might mean having no power, no influence, being relegated to the outskirts of society, and by the way, it probably will one day. If you look at Revelation, that's how the early churches suffered. It, it, it cost them their livelihood. It cost them their reputation. They were relegated to the outskirts of society. It's, it's, it just goes in waves. Living for God's glory isn't easy. And the question that Jesus faces, would he take the easy way out or would he live depending on God's word? Thanks be to God, he did what we could not do. And so he answers the devil and he says, it's written. What's he doing here? He's, he's refuting the devil's lies with the truth of God's word. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall, shall you serve. He's not going to bow down to any of the so-called gods. 
when all of humanity from Adam on had bowed down to false gods time after time again. There's not even a hero in the faith in the Old Testament who didn't in some way bow down. And the devils are trying to alluringly subvert the purpose for which mankind was created to give God glory and seek his praise. And yet Jesus, he trusted in God's word. And he trusted that his whole life was to be about God's glory, not his own. And Luke tells us that the devil failed to, to tempt Jesus in these two ways. Then he does something clever. See, the devil's noticing that, that Jesus is refuting him with God's word. And so then the devil says, well, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm, I'm, the devil is very clever, by the way. The devil takes God's very word. He quoted it pretty much accurately. And he quotes it back to Jesus. But what he's testing Jesus with is, will Jesus rely on God to protect him? Or will he take his own life in his own hands? And so what we see in this third temptation is Jesus here, he defeated the devil and he depended upon God's protection. That's what he did. He, did, he defeats the devil by depending on God's protection. The devil takes him up to the top of this pinnacle of the temple. It's probably like 450, 500 feet overlooking the Kidron Valley. It's this very high place. It would have been very noticeable. And the Midrash, it, it, it tells of how when the Messiah comes that, that he'll come to the temple. And so the devil's tempting him to, to show who he really is by if, if God if he throws himself down and God protects him, then it'll clearly be revealed that he's really the Messiah. Or can he really trust in God to protect him? Can he really trust in God to keep him safe? For Jesus, it was not just an abstract thing. It was a physical test. What if, what if Jesus were to throw himself off this peak and then he tries to use scripture and he quotes the psalm. He, he, he tries to use scripture to convince Jesus to presume upon God and to test God. Will God really protect you? Will he really keep you safe? And isn't that a temptation that all of us face? Will God really protect you? Will he really keep you safe? Not just will God provide for me, but does God have my best intentions? Can I trust in living for God's glory? And then can I trust in God to protect me? Can I trust in him to keep me safe? And, and when you're in the desert... It's easy to doubt those things. Can God be trusted to protect Jesus? Does Jesus really trust in God to care for him? And, and since the temple represented the place where, where God's people drew near to God's presence, then what better place that surely if God's going to rescue you, he'll rescue you here at the temple. And then everybody will see the Messiah that he protects you, he takes care of you. But instead, Jesus refutes him again a third time. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, what, what's happening here is that the devil quotes scripture. By, by the way, do you know false teachers today are sometimes pastors and people who quote scripture? Did you know that the false teachers quote scripture, they misuse and twist God's words, or they, they'll even quote God's words, but it's, it, it, you use it in a way that's in contrast to the, the full word of God, and so it's, it's really bad hermeneutics or bad interpretation, and, and Jesus is correcting people saying, no, sure, you got Psalm right, but you forgot where it says, don't put God to the test. And he didn't do any magic here. He doesn't pull out a wand or cast a spell. What does he do? He just simply draws the sword of God's word. 
He resists the devil by living by God's word. He refused to trust any other word to live by. What do you trust in? What are you living by? So Jesus, he tells the devil, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, I I can't test him. He's testing me. I'm going to depend upon him. He refused to force God to take care of him on his own terms. Sometimes we put ourselves into positions that are unwise and, and we're, it's like we're testing God to deliver us from something stupid that we did in the first place that we shouldn't have done. Well, why didn't God deliver me? Well, probably because you put yourself in a place where you're testing God. But Jesus refused to demand God's protection by putting himself in peril. Instead, he rests on the, on the promises of God and he, he humbly obeys God by living in accordance with God's word in every way. And then, we you know what happened? It says, after this, the devil departed from him until an opportune time came. Jesus did what James tells us we can do. He resisted the devil and he fleed. And we can do the same thing. We're called to resist the devil. How do we resist the devil? Oh, with, with God's word, with the truth. You know, Rocky, he defeated Ivan Drago through strength and stamina. Jesus defeated the devil in his weakest, when his physical strength was depleted, when it would have been hard to think. And he did it empowered by the Spirit and by depending on the ordinary means of Scripture, just like we can. Here's, here's the main point you need to walk away with today. It's, it's really this. Jesus, he defeated the devil in every temptation, so that we can depend upon God in everything. Jesus defeated the devil in every temptation so we can depend upon God in everything. He did this in our place so that we can trust in him. Not in our strength, not in our ability. We can trust in the Holy Spirit, trust in God's word. And now he makes all those who trust in his resisting sin, he makes makes all those who trust in him a new creation. So now we can actually depend upon God and everything and then we too can follow after Jesus and resist the devil with God's word in every temptation. That's why in Hebrews it tells us no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. But with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. You know what the way of escape is? It's his word. And the writer of Hebrews, he helps us apply this text really well. In Hebrews 2, 17, he tells us, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, explaining why he went through these temptations, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or turn turn aside God's wrath for the sins of the people because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. There is no temptation that he is not able to help you with. He's reversed all of the temptations of Adam. He's able to help you in every way. It's far easier to give in to temptation than it is to defeat temptation without ever giving in. We have one who's never given in. Hebrews 4 tells us, verse 14, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Here's what we do in response. Let us then with confidence, because he resisted all sin for us in our place. He's overcome sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need when we are tempted. Resisting temptation is far harder and Jesus has done what is far harder. He was faithful to God and he would continue to be faithful to God all the way to the end. He shows what a person who belongs to the new creation is capable of when they follow God's desires, empowered by his spirit, wielding his word. And he makes all who trust in him a new creation with a new spirit, and he gives us his word. And the whole world assaults the truth of God's word with lies. We live depending on every word that comes from God's mouth. Let's pray. Father, so often we forget. We forget what's true and we believe lies. Lord, where we believe lies, we want to confess that to you. And thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to make us clean from all unrighteousness. God, thank you that you do not leave us there that you give us all that we need for life and godliness in your word. Would you bring to our remembrance your word? Would you help us live in trust in your word? See the goodness of your word. Live for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.